Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 197 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Lauren Sears. Lauren is a committed entrepreneur and emerging leader in the social innovation and enterprise sector in Canada. She's the managing director of Common Good Solutions, a growing consulting and training firm currently doing business in over a dozen countries, as well as co-founder of P4G, a CIC focused on attracting and retaining youth in Atlantic Canada. As an accomplished public speaker, Lauren is regularly asked to present on her ideas of expertise at events across Canada. Lauren is keenly interested in developing and supporting young people through entrepreneurship and sport. She's a director at 100 Seeds Atlantic, an alternate board member of S4ES Canada, a member of the implementation committee for the NS Social Enterprise Strategy, a director at Volleyball Nova Scotia, and assistant coach of St. Mary's University women's volleyball team. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Lauren's exciting plans for the Social Enterprise World Forum, which will be hosted in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada in 2020. And we'll get a feel for how the social enterprise movement is doing in Canada and discuss opportunities to grow the ecosystem. So Lauren, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tom. I'm super excited to be on Impact Room today. Great. So to kick things off then, Lauren, could you please share a bit about your background and what led to your work in the social enterprise sector? It's an interesting question to start with. I get asked this question a lot and I guess I'll have to sort of rewind because it doesn't really start in a great place in terms of the story, but it's, it's true. And so back in 2013, I was finishing my second bachelor's degree in business. I went to the University of Winnipeg, mostly playing volleyball. (laughs) (laughs) Classes there, but you know, that at times was not necessarily the priority. And I found out in April of 2013 that my dad was terminally ill Mm. um, with cancer and a super rare kind of cancer that started in his gallbladder. And so I flew home. I was able to finish my degree. I had planned on doing an honors, but sort of cut that short. Uh, And my sister left her co-op job and we came home to take care of my dad for the summer. My mom was still taking care of their businesses. Yeah. And so it was a, it was a really amazing summer. Um, I was so happy to have spent the time And in December of 2013, my dad passed away. Mm. And I think up until that point, I was a much more financially motivated person. Yeah. My parents had both grown up in poverty and their parents were all entrepreneurs. So I think maybe it's not such a stretch that I am now myself pursuing entrepreneurship. But, you know, when you're a kid and your parents tell you to do something, you just don't. (laughs) You just don't. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a doctor there for a minute. What a joke. Um, (laughs) And so at that point, I, I really started reevaluating what my priorities were. I always sort of thought, okay, I, I'm a former jock. I could probably climb a corporate ladder. That would be really easy to do. Yep. Just with the kind of personality I have and the way 
those things work really. Mm. It's, you know, if you keep winning, you keep climbing. If you keep winning, you keep climbing. Yeah. That's, you know, the athletic mentality, I guess. But yeah, I, I just started to question what the hell money was for and why it mattered. And it didn't matter that my parents had built this little empire of two car dealerships for themselves and, you know, built this nice little life and they were comfortable and yeah. it just didn't interest me. And mm. so to be honest, like I floated around for quite a bit, about eight months, my my now husband was finishing his master's and my sister was finishing her engineering degree. So I pretended to be Martha Stewart for a bit <laughs> and I made a lot of lunches and a lot of dinners and I baked a lot of cakes. Yep. And in 2014, I figured uh, I better do something with myself. And so I started looking for jobs and everything I found and came across happened to be in the startup world, mm. which was sort of interesting. And I mm. ended up taking a position around retail logistics <laughs> I hated retail logistics. <laughs> I thought I had I thought I had attention to detail and then the number of spreadsheets I had to deal with I was like this is not this is not for me. Yeah. Um but it did move me into sales which is more my interest and specifically around business development which I I think is a bit different than straight sales because it's more relationship based than just product based. Yeah. And so that organization was interesting. It was all women. We were creating this really interesting blend between beauty, healthcare and like natural efficacious skincare so for eczema sufferers like myself yeah so it was really cool but the culture wasn't so great so i ended up leaving dove headfirst into a non-profit mm. which had a 10-month grant runway which needed to be overhauled but that was back to athletics so it was a crowdfunding platform for athletes and it was actually the first one yeah right and that's where i learned titles were free i was hired by two women that were running two other tech firms and this was sort of their their little nonprofit baby because one of them was an Olympian and the other one was a high level athlete. So yeah. they said, we want to see, we want to see this keep going. And I said, great. And I became CEO of me, myself and I. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I spent about 10 months there. Um, and through that experience is actually how I met Dave Upton, one of the co-founders of common good solutions. And my two bosses at the time, as wonderful as they were and continue to be, there's just not a lot of time to be spent when you're trying to raise two other tech firms. Yeah. And so I ended up randomly meeting Dave at an evening about social entrepreneurship. And I was asked to come present on the nonprofit I was running. Dave was there talking about common good solutions. And I still didn't know what social entrepreneurship was. Mm. Still, then I was like, I don't even know what this term means. I don't know what social enterprise is. But what are this Dave guys talking about sounds really cool. Yeah. And so as Dave does, he said, you know, why don't you pop by the shop for a coffee at some point? And I did. So that was March 2016. I finally took him up on the coffee and he started mentoring me on this crowdfunding platform. So I started understanding what Common Good Solutions was doing. Yeah. More so around what social entrepreneurship was. And Dave telling me about this brilliant hybrid model that's about to exist in Nova Scotia called a community interest company. Mm. And me having this like, what? sort of reaction of there's some way in like somewhere between these two things. Mm. And that's really how I ended up in social enterprise. I, I ran that nonprofit platform for 10 months, totally burnt out. And along the way had been planting seeds with Dave. He saw me, you know, do a couple presentations or pitches, which is some of the stuff that I really like to do. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I'm, I consider myself to be a bit of an eternal opportunist where I'm always open to hearing it, you know? Yeah. If there's a new opportunity, I want to hear it. I want to know what's going on because you never know what's going to come of it. Yeah. Um, and so in October of 2016, Dave, 
I knew was the only one doing business development at Common Good. And at the time, there was only about five staff. Yeah. The CGS, we now have 20. So it's been quite a quick growth. And yeah. I was sort of one of the ones in that initial growth that took us to about, you know, um, 10 or 11 folks. Yeah. And Dave needed help with business development. And so that's how I fell into Common Good was as a business development officer. Wow. Yeah. And now I'm obsessed obsessed <laughs> <laughs> oh it's been a really really interesting journey lauren so you're now managing director at common good solutions so i'm really really keen to hear more about the sort of i am like what sort of projects are you involved with with this team of 20 people mm-hmm. well it's evolved over the last number of years so i've i've been at cgs for three years now um when i first came in what had allowed for some of our kick-started growth was through a partnership with the Social Enterprise Network of Nova Scotia. And they're sort of the member-driven nonprofit that represents the social enterprise sector in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And at the time, there's a lot of sector building going on, a lot of liaising with government. And one of the projects that SENS uh, secured was for an impact incubator, was to launch an impact incubator mm-hmm. to help start and grow more social enterprises in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And Common Good Solutions being the secretariat... So acting on behalf of the board of SENS, we were actually delivering the work. So over the last three years, we've launched, supported the launch of 45 social enterprises across the province. Right. And that was up and down, lots of learning, (laughs) iterating the program. You know, you make assumptions about where you think entrepreneurs will be and how they'll respond to the content or, um, you know, a light hand approach. And what we learned was that we really needed to have a much more or step-by-step guided approach for some of the folks that were coming to the table. There was just not much understanding of business in general. Um, most of these folks were coming from a place of doing work directly with the beneficiary yep. and just seeing maybe another opportunity to be able to support. So that was really interesting and something that kickstarted the growth of CGS. And really the work that we've always done has been through consulting, um, but not necessarily in the, uh, the normal colonial sense, you know? Yeah. Someone mentioned to me at, at one point that consulting is sort of colonial in the way it works because you generally hire old white dudes as experts and you pay them lots of money for their expertise. Mm. And then the next time you have a problem, you have to call them all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're sort of in the business of, yeah, you can call us once and we're hoping that whatever we do as an intervention, whether it be a new business plan, you want to run a new social enterprise, perhaps you're a nonprofit that would like to generate your own revenue in some way, shape, or yeah, form. Yeah. So you want to do some market research. You want to do a feasibility study. You'd like to understand how to measure impact in a greater sense. Those are all pieces of our consulting work. Uh, And in the last year and a half, we've um, sort of been able to use those same skills in in just a different way around social innovation labs. Mm. So the Department of Community Service with the province of Nova Scotia, as part of their poverty reduction strategy, have wanted to try out labs. And labs are not necessarily a new thing. I think they've been used over the last 10, 15 years in lots of different industries to sort of create multi-stakeholder problem solving. Mm. And now the government wanted a shot, which sometimes in my mind when I'm skeptical, I'm like, does that mean they're not cool anymore? (laughs) 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 If government thinks it's cool, does that mean it's not cool anymore? Yep. Um, Next buzzword. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, But we've been running phases of these labs in different communities around Nova Scotia, which has been interesting. So in Cape Breton, in the Cape Breton regional municipality, there are pockets of communities where there's incredibly high 
under or just complete unemployment. Mm. And then you've got employers that have, you know, six, 800 jobs that they're yeah. flying in foreign temporary workers for. Yeah. Well, and the biggest, one of the biggest issues there is transportation. So how do we get those people half an hour down the road to, to work? Mm. And so that was a, one of the projects. Um, the second one was down in the tri-county area around childcare alternatives. They started a pre-primary program a couple of years ago where kids that are, you know, four that would normally still be in daycare could go to school with their older siblings yep. and get used to that school system. Mm. But lots of things have unintended consequences. Yeah. And one of those unintended consequences when they launched the pre-primary program was that you essentially decimated the employees of the daycare systems mm. and all the daycares in the tri-county area because, come on, who doesn't want summers off? Yeah. And like longer term contracts and all those kinds of things. So, so now there's a shortage of daycare workers. Mm. Okay. So what could be done in terms of community problem solving to think about alternatives to childcare? And the third one we've been running that's been incredibly successful so far. And um, I think a really good example of a symbiotic relationship, which is something that is interests me a lot in this work. And I hope to see more of yeah. was the lab that we ran here in HRM, Halifax Regional Municipality, around African Nova Scotian youth unemployment. Mm. So in Nova Scotia, there's a long, long history of generations and generations of African Nova Scotians. So it's a black community here that, you know, they're the indigenous black population. Yeah. We're talking, you know, 500 years of, of history mm. here and generally an underserved population. A um, lot of different systemic issues there. And so chronically over the last number of years, decades, really, I think since before I've been born and I just turned 30 in June, yeah. um, the unemployment rate for African Nova Scotian youth has been double that of the regular youth population. Wow. So something like, I think, 20 to 32 percent unemployment versus, you know, 14, 16% yeah. unemployment. Yeah. And they've even broken it down to number of jobs, 561 jobs. Wow. That's it. That's it. And maybe that seems like a big number, but really it's, I don't think it's that big of a number. Um, and so we really were only able to secure facilitating that lab because it was done in partnership with the one North end community economic development society. Mm. And so we took one of our staff members, Rodney Small, and seconded him onto the one. He had been doing that work as a project over the last number of years, and it's now become and about to become its own fully funded nonprofit. Wow. Yeah. We supported Rodney and his team to sort of build that out to become independent. CGS remains being CGS, and we do what we do best, which is really provide tools and research. And then what we're hoping we'll see is more empowerment out of this community uh, to prototype some of the ideas that have spun out of it that were really community driven. So mm. one example being a one-stop shop where youth in this community can come to do skills building, like build a resume. How do I interview? Well, how do I, you know, yeah. broach these conversations as one part and then creating employer education, because I think there are a lot of employers that would love to hire more African Nova Scotian youth, mm. but perhaps feel really intimidated by the conversation and not wanting to create a fence, maybe feel like they don't know how to best support that population. You know, people really want to start thinking about in inclusion versus just diversity where you start counting boxes. Yeah. So yep. I think yep. that project, when we move into phase two, which is testing the prototypes, will 
even more interesting learning will emerge. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch yeah. of really, really interesting projects there, Lauren. And another big project you guys have is an absolute cracker. And that's really that you guys are the hosts of the Social Enterprise World Forum next year in 2020, which will be held in September in Halifax. So what are you most looking forward to about the forum and and how have you seen it act as a catalyst for sector development in the work that you've done today? Oh, geez. We're so excited. Honestly, we took the entire team to Edinburgh in 2018. And I, I do think it was a part of the reason that we were able to secure the forum is mm. because of our the number of youth that work for us. 80% of our staff are under 30. Wow. I'm now going to start saying 30 and under, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 30 and under. And we just got a lot of energy for it. But I got to tell you, when people know you're going to host a really incredible party, everybody starts calling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can I bring to the party? I would love to add to the party. Let yeah. me come party too. And it, so I think um, just from an awareness raising perspective, it's huge. It's, this is a really big opportunity and potentially defining moment for our region in Atlantic mm. Canada, more specifically Nova Scotia. And, and to the country again. And Atlanta, Canada doesn't always get its due, even in Canada. I mean, people think the East Coast is Quebec, and then there's like nothing after that. Yeah, yeah. So anybody listening, you've got to look at a map. There are four provinces beyond Quebec <laughs> that represent not a huge part of the population. I think we're like not even quite 2 million people, but we're, we're a hearty people. And so mm. I'm, I'm just really excited to shine a light on our region, not only for either our fellow Canadians, but also for people around the world. Yeah. There are lots of people that would love, like bucket list, want to visit the Maritimes. Yeah. And, and just never, other than the dream, have a reason to come. And so I think to tie this into a lot of our peers and their work is just it's an extra great excuse to show up. Absolutely. Oh, we cannot wait to head over there. So it'll be great to see how it all unfolds. And we'll certainly be at the party. Don't worry about that. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So Lauren, you've worked a lot with these different social enterprises and more broadly across the sector. So what do you then believe are some of the key sort of strengths of the Canadian social enterprise movement? Perhaps that's youth. I'm not sure. And what do you think that some other countries could potentially learn from those strengths that you guys have uh, in your approach? I think one that we're hoping to even deepen, particularly across governments, is the fact that there are levels of government that are very interested in what's going on in the social sector. Yep. So I think for that reason, um, that might be different than a lot of different countries. I know there are certain countries that have a lot of government support, but others that could have more mm. because the policy regulations and some of the funding around these things is until those things move, it, it's still very difficult to have awareness or even set up a social enterprise or find a way to fund a social enterprise yeah. or invest in a social enterprise. So I'd say um, particularly recently where the Canadian federal government has invested in almost a billion dollars into this sector over the next 10 years is sort of a statement. Mm. And so over the next, <laughs> it was supposed to be two years. It's a lot less room to get money at the door at this point. Um, but there are two streams of funding that are coming down right now. So one is around investment readiness. Yep. So the feds committed $50 million to different priority groups across the nation, all around social innovation and social finance and getting ready for the next 10 years of funding that are going to come through the social innovation and social finance mm. fund. So the investment readiness fund is more grant-based. 
and could be used for things like getting a business plan for a social enterprise you would like to start or feasibility around something like that. Yep. It could be to invest in a piece of equipment. Um, when I think about some of the social enterprises that produce you know, food or packaged goods or things like that, there might be something that create more efficiency in their operation. Yep. Because the next round of funding over 10 years will end up being sort of debt-based financing. And so more traditional styles of, of loans and, and investment, which will be interesting. That'll be a question that I have around how many nonprofits are going to take the risk on debt-based mm. financing, but time will tell. Yeah. It may, it may favor the for-profit sector, which people could quibble about whether or not it's social enterprise or social purpose or what have you. I guess at the end of the day for me, I just hope it creates a positive impact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's one. I'd say another key strength of Canadian social enterprise is that we do have some very large member-driven networks that help connect coast to coast to coast. Mm. You could argue, you know, some of those coasts are not as connected as others, but, you know, groups like um, the Canadian Community Economic, Economic Development Network or SEDNET, you know, they've got offices across the country. They're yep. very member-driven um, folks like Imagine Canada. They represent a lot of the nonprofits and charitable sectors. So when you yep. have a greater collection of voices to approach policymakers, mm. then it gives you more credibility, more voice, and more, yeah, more collective direction. Yeah. In, in some parts. Those are my two for sure. I think I don't I think some areas have more strengths than others. Yeah. I'd say that, you know, when I look at places like British Columbia and Ontario, when they have really large foundations or funders, like Van City Bank, like the McConnell Foundation, there's mm. more access to capital there. Yep. And those, I say those provincial ecosystems are stronger than some of the other ones because of some of that awareness and interest in and commitment to investment, where other areas, maybe not so much. So like Atlanta, Canada, we certainly lack funders. Mm. Uh, the Prairies, I haven't heard of too, too much. You know, I know they have the Mutart Foundation in some around there, but not as much. Yeah. Um, and uh, Quebec's another really great example. You know, the Chantier and the Commerce Solidaire, they have more committed funding going on. So in those regions, I'd say their ecosystems could potentially be a bit more developed at times yep. because of that cash injection. Mm-hmm. So you speak a lot about the finance levels now, Lauren, but I'm just really curious to hear where you believe that some of these Canadian social entrepreneurs struggle most and and how you've seen them respond to those struggles, essentially. How are they addressing them? That's an interesting question. Again, I think it's, it's a bit re- more regional, you know, I think particularly when you think about like raw, raw startup, yeah. the awareness around how to even run a business mm. can be really difficult. And so if you have access to an incubator or an accelerator, those kinds of programming or yeah. universities that are, that have those kinds of programs that are more well-developed, that is an asset. Yeah. But the rural versus urban conversation certainly makes it more difficult for some. Yeah. So if yeah. you're in an urban setting where a lot of the expertise lives, then your access seems to be a lot easier because yep. there seem to be multiple, multiple places to get it. Um, when I think about Halifax, uh, there's, you know, we have our impact incubator. You have Volta. They do more tech incubation, not necessarily social enterprise, but if that's where you wanted to start a business, you'd probably go there. They yep. have um, the lead program, which can put you on employment insurance while you try and start a business and they have their own programming. Mm. St. Mary's University has startup programming. Dalhousie has startup programming. You know, so in an urban setting, there's a lot. In the more rural settings, I'd argue, 
you know, the universities are doing great things, but if you're not in a hotbed around Acadia or Cape Breton University or St. of X, then you're driving somewhere or you're going somewhere. Um, and we've tried to create more online content for people to access, mm-hmm. which younger folks I think are, are more keen to use online resources, Yeah, but older Canadians, not necessarily. Yeah. So to me, that gap is still something that remains. Yeah. Um, and there's outreach, but I think it's still something that is to be solved, really. Mm, yeah, totally. There's some really, really interesting points and reflections there, Lauren. So drawing to a close now, I'm really keen to hear what books or resources or other things you'd recommend to some of our listeners who are passionate about social enterprise. Oh, I've got some, a couple of interesting ones, but Tom, I'm sure I can send you a list because our people in here read a lot. Number one book, and it's not necessarily social enterprise related, but it's really going to make you question some things about yourself and your business and your social enterprise, is Lynn Twist. She wrote a book called The Soul of Money. The Soul of Money. That will rock you to your core. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody's underlying unconscious beliefs around money, and it shows up everywhere, including your social enterprise. Yeah. And I'd really recommend a book called The Power of TED. Mm. TED stands for The Empowerment Dynamic. And that is really a very easy to read story about placing yourself in the position of being the victim versus being a creator and the other roles around that and things that we roles that we play for others um, and roles that we play with ourselves. And the third one I'd recommend is my top three uh, is called the rise of the meaningful economy. And I recommend that one because uh, it was written by the Barrett's value center in the United States. And what they have done over the last number of decades is track the psychological uh, development across time of generations. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of this, sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you sort of extended it past those like survival needs and what that means for your, like in your psyche, because everyone sort of got this sense that millennials and Gen Z are different. Yeah. Now, this book doesn't really speak about Gen Z, um, just because they're getting to that age where they might be documented now. But the millennials are in a state of consciousness and a level of consciousness that no generation has hit mm. this young. Yeah. So we are already believing in collaboration and giving back to community and building that into our lives. It's not something that we want to do when we're ready to retire. Yeah. Yeah. Which is been the general sense. Yeah. So totally. I think that's why we're seeing a big shift of young entrepreneurs in this sector. That's part a, of the reason anyways. It's a great observation, Lauren. And there's a few crackers there. So what we'll do is we'll stick some links through to those books in the article so people can easily find them. So Lauren, it's been a pleasure to speak today and we're very, very thankful for for you sharing your generous insights and time. And and really, really importantly, we just can't wait to see you and the whole team over in Halifax in 2020 for the Social Enterprise World Forum. So thanks again for sharing today. No, thank you. And uh, yeah, can't wait to host you guys when you're here. Well, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.